Frederick Douglass was a slave deep in the South. Slavery is wrong, it's terrible, and it's a blight on our nation. But Frederick Douglass was a slave. And in his heart burned a desire for freedom. He had learned how to read, which was very unusual. And he had an active mind who loved to think. And he would meet together with the other slaves on his owner's plantation, and they would talk about freedom. And it's burned in their hearts. And Frederick became known for this, and his owner found out, and he decided the cure would be to send him to a slave breaker, Edward Covey, further south. And so he was sent. Edward Covey was a hard man. He knew what it meant to work hard himself. He would get out there and work with his slaves. So he knew exactly how much work they could accomplish in a day. And he expected it of them. He was a sneaky man. He would pretend like he was leaving. And once he was out of his sight, he would drop down in the cornrows and then crawl back to where they were. And then he would pop up to surprise them. They never knew where he might be. He would get on his horse and ride off like he was leaving tie his horse in the woods, and then later they would see him crouched at the edge of the field, watching. He was a slave breaker. Slaves that thought about freedom were sent there, and he changed their minds. Frederick Douglass wanted freedom. One day he was very sick. <clears throat> his mind was in a fog, he had a fever, and he was trying to work, but eventually he just fell over. And Edward Covey heard the work stop because it all depended on every person working this machine. And he came outside and he saw him there. He beat him severely. He was blood from head to toe. And in his mind, he says, I've had enough of this. I'm going to go back to my master and tell him what this guy is doing. So when he wasn't looking, he snuck off. Down the corn rows, up the field, seven miles to his owner's plantation. And he showed up there blood Top to bottom. How could anyone not have mercy, he thought in his mind. And he explained to him what was happening. And he said, listen, I know Edward Covey. He's a Christian man. He goes to church every week. He will treat you fine. If, if I let you come back now, I won't get paid for the entire year that I've let you out here. No, you have to go back. So he struggled what to do. And on the, on the way back, he knew he would be in trouble for being gone. So he came across another man who um, um, was a slave, but he had his own house. So he says, hey, stay with me for the night. So we spent there the night there, and they talked together about what he needed to do, and they concluded, yes, you should go back. So the next day he went back. Edward Covey didn't say anything. Not a thing. And he worked for several days, and then one morning he was told to go get hay for the horses. So he went to the barn, climbed the ladder, threw the hay down, and as he was climbing down the ladder, he heard the door to the barn open. Edward Covey came in. He had a rope in his hand. Just as he reached the bottom of the ladder, Edward Covey grabbed him and started tying his legs around, and tying the rope around his legs. And Frederick Douglass had this thought that came to his mind. I'd like to study Luke chapter 10 with you. Luke chapter 10, and we'll begin in verse 25. 
As we open God's word, let's have prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for this good book. This world is so dark. There are so many things that discourage and disappoint. But when we open these pages, we see hope. Please bless our study. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus was trying to be careful because the scribes and Pharisees were trying to catch him, to trick him. They didn't like him. They were jealous of the fame that he had begun to to garner from his acts of compassion and his words of truth. And so in Luke 10, verse 25, there was a man that was planted there, a man who was well-versed in Scripture, and he was a lawyer, and he was there to trick Jesus. So in Luke 10, verse 25, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. Have you ever been around people that are just trying to catch you? You know they don't like you. They're trying to get one up you, maybe to get your job. Maybe there's been some tension at work and they're trying to get you out of the way. Jesus has experienced that. The leadership of the Jewish nation was against him, trying to catch him. And the lawyer said, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Good question, don't you think? It's one that we often think about when we're in a difficult situation. But other than that, we generally don't think about it. We kind of think life will go on forever. I'm going to continue this job. I'm going to have this house. I don't imagine there would ever be an end. And then we hit a hard moment in life. Someone dies. Someone passes away. We lose our job. And all of a sudden, our world turns upside down, and we begin to think about the real questions that are important. This is one of those. What can I do to inherit eternal life? If someone put you in a corner and were to ask you that question, could you answer it with positive assurance? I know what I can do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? It's interesting, Jesus asked a question in response to his question. What is written in the law? Jesus had been accused of trying to undermine the law. Like Jesus was doing away with the law. He healed people on the Sabbath. So somehow Jesus <clears throat> is trying to minimize the law. In fact, Jesus asked this lawyer, what is written in the law? Jesus was magnifying the law. Jesus didn't come to do away with the law. In fact, we're told in Matthew 5 and verse, verses um, 17, Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or one tittle will pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Jesus was not trying to do away with the law. He was fulfilling the law. He was the law embodied. And he says, how do you read this? And the lawyer answered, and he said this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. That was the lawyer's response. That was the man who knew the scriptures. He thought in his mind all of the laws that are there, and he boiled them down to two principles based on one foundational element, love. Love to God, love to man. Total, complete love to God. Heart, mind, body, everything. 
love. He says, this is the essence of inheriting eternal life. The law of God is often thought about in negative terms. You shall not. You shall not. But in reality, the law of God defines, it explains, according to this text, what love is. Real love is explained, defined in God's word. In Europe this last year, there was this man that fell in love with this model. And he began to stalk her. And then he, then he made an appointment and he kidnapped her. And then she escaped finally and was able to get free. But in his mind, he thought he was in love. Was that real love? Real love isn't defined by what I feel, by what I think. It's defined by God's word. There are those who feel, well, when I first married this guy, I was in love with him. But now I don't feel that love anymore. Love is not a feeling according to God's word. Just because you're in love and then the feeling goes away doesn't mean that love isn't there. Love is explained and expressed in the Bible, and we see it in the Ten Commandments. Marriage is a decision for life. Marriage should not go away because the feeling goes away. You shouldn't find another partner because you don't like them like you used to. Maybe go back and find out what were the first things that you used to do to give the little spark to marriage, right? Go back and date each other again. Real love is found in the Bible. There's a text in 1 John 5 and verse 3 I want to share with you. It says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. Real commandment keeping should cause you to become more loving. Like, commandment keepers shouldn't be more brittle, unkind, harsh, cloudy. No, they should be the most loving people in the world. And as Seventh-day Adventists who believe that God's word should still be a part of our lives and the commandment is still something we should live, we should be the most loving people in the world, wouldn't you think? So maybe ask your wife, hon, do you think I'm real loving? Ask your children, kids, do you think I'm really loving? And if they don't have the same perception of you that you do, maybe think about that a little bit and see what part of the law that you need to live out better so that you have that love in your life. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And the lawyer said to him, or Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. This do, and you will live. Wow. The lawyer basically said, I need to keep the entire Ten Commandments. And Jesus said, this do, and you will live. Have you ever tried to keep everything God has expressed for you in your life and not made a mistake? Have you been able to do that consistently most of your life? Has anyone here ever made mistakes in their life? Wow, what a daunting task Jesus gave to him. Keep the entire law and you'll never die. Wow. Now, I like to rock climb. Years ago, um, I used to do a lot of rock climbing in this area. Most of the cliffs in this area are, you know, 75, 90 feet. Sunset Rock's about 90 feet. It's a single pitch climb, just one up, one down. And that's most of the climbing I'd done. Then I went out west. I went out to California, and uh, we had this retreat that was in Yosemite Valley. I was excited about going there. There's a, there's a cliff face there called El Capitan. It's huge face. It's like 2,000 feet. It's high. 
And I had read a book years before about these two climbers, and it took them a couple of weeks to scale the face of El Capitan. Now, I was excited about going to see this, this rock. And so we, we had a little bit of free time, and I, I slipped away, and then I, I found out how to get to the base of El Capitan, and I hiked across a creek and up a snowbank, and I got to the base of El Capitan. Now, I know how to climb. I know how to rock climb. I do it. But I got to the base of this cliff, and I looked up and up and up. I thought, there is no way I would ever be able to climb that cliff. Immense. Wow. That's kind of how it is with the law of God. As we look at its immensity, at its purity, at its bigness, we say, there is no way that I could keep this completely heart and mind pure all the time. It's too big. Jesus presented this huge thing before this man and he said, this do and you will live. Do you know what that should cause us to do? When we come to something that we can't do, it should cause us to look for help. That's the purpose of the law. The law helps us to see our true condition and help us to recognize that we need help. How many of you need help today? We have help in Jesus, amen? And the Savior was speaking to this man. In verse 29 of Luke 10, But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Hmm. Now he got the part. Yeah, you need to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. He got that, sure. But, but the neighbor, love your neighbor as yourself. This was discussed among Jews after the Sabbath service, at the fellowship meal. It was just a fun point. Like, who's your neighbor? Well, they knew it had to be a Jew. I mean, it couldn't be a non-Jew. It had to be a Jew. The Samaritans, it couldn't be a Samaritan because Samaritans were the worst of the worst. In fact, when they were calling Jesus bad names, they said, you are a Samaritan and you have a demon. Like, they couldn't think of anything worse to say. It was like the, the worst thing they could, you're a Samaritan. Well, of course, the Samaritans weren't your neighbor. And it couldn't be a Gentile, those Greeks or whatever. It couldn't be, those could be. This, this love your neighbor as yourself has to be someone like me. It can't be someone different. This do, and, you, uh, and he says, and, and who is my neighbor? You know, there are those people in our lives that, that we like. We spend time with them. We're kind of similar. We have a good time with them. But then there are those that are different. And we're kind of like this man here. We, and who is my neighbor? I mean, they're not really someone that I need to interact with. They're not really someone that I should love like myself. I mean, what about that person at work that you just don't like? What about, I learned something about, so I have a house full of ladies. I have five daughters and my wonderful wife. And so, growing up, it was just me and my brother. And then my mom was trying to raise us as a single mom. And so, I didn't know anything about ladies. I, I'm, I, it's a miracle I'm even married, honestly. Um, but I learned something, that, that there's this petty jealousy that happens between women. F forgive me, forgive me if you didn't know this, ladies, but you probably already know. If... If someone walks into a room, there's this immediate sizing them up. This is ladies to ladies, sizing them up. Are they prettier than me or not? If they are, if they are, there's an immediate either jealousy or dislike. I don't like them. Oh, they're so stuck up. Did you see they didn't even say hi? They looked the other way. Oh, that purse just does not go over those shoes. There's this immediate list dislike. Who is my neighbor? You know there's these things. At work, the person that's doing better than you. 
Maybe a sense of jealousy or irritation. At school, the cool club or the not cool club. Um, who is my neighbor? Who are those that I should love like myself? Isn't that the question here? It's a good question. It's a good question. Two fundamental questions. What should I do to inherit eternal life? And who should I really love? So Jesus answers that question. Verse 30. Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When I picture in my mind what it must have been like for that man that morning. He woke up. It was an 18-mile journey down this road. A descent and elevation of about 3,300 feet down through mountainous region. From 2,400 feet down to 840 feet below sea level. It was a long journey through some difficult terrain. I'm sure he was thinking, I need to leave early. I don't imagine he woke up at noon and decided to make this trip. It was a seven to a nine hour trip of quick walking through difficult terrain. And as he woke up that morning, he must have been thinking, what do I need to take with me today? I need to make sure I get the money, I need to make sure I get food. The place where he was going, Jericho, was a business town. It was an oasis. Deuteronomy calls it the city of palm trees. It was a beautiful place. Um, a lot of business happened there. And so cert certainly he was on a business trip. And, and he was probably thinking, where do I need to hide the money as I'm traveling? And uh, he needs, needs to do that well because there's bandits along the way. How many of you ever tra traveled internationally? Like when you do, you're just trying to think about where can I put my money so that it won't get stolen, right? You have the little belts with a zipper inside. Take out your shoe and you put it underneath the sole. Just some tips for you the next time you go. And if you diversify, if they get your shoes but not your belt, you still have something, right? So I'm assuming he was probably doing the same. How can I hide some of this money so that I, if I do get stolen, or get, get uh, bandits come, I can just give, oh yeah, here, this is what I have. I'll give you this. But he really had more hidden, you know, in the secret pocket of his robe. So he was thinking these thoughts, I'm sure. He was laying there in bed, decided it's time to get up. Rolled back the covers, got out. His wife was probably already up making his breakfast, getting it together, put it together. He came to the door, he kissed her, he looked in her eyes, possibly for the last time. The door swung open and he stepped out. In his mind, he had a plan of what was going to happen. But sometimes our plans don't go the way we desire. Sometimes our plans get derailed. We don't know what the future holds. Sometimes it ends up differently than expected. And he began his journey through Jerusalem, perhaps past the temple where the presence of God used to be. This path would have gone by the Mount of Olives and circled around. And just as it came around the other side, there would have been a nice view of the Temple Mount. He would have seen it glistening there as the morning sun was coming up. It would have gone past Bethany. You know where Bethany is? That's where Lazarus lived. That was where Jesus often visited. He would have gone past Bethany and it would have wound down through Jerusalem and then began its descent going down, down, down to Jericho. Along the way, about 13 miles from Jerusalem, there is a pass that you come to. Now, this pass is a very narrow place and it's along the most direct route between Jerusalem and Jericho. 
likely the Roman road went right through there. Uh, this, plat, this pass is called Adet Aram, if I'm saying it right. It's called the Hill of Blood, the Mount of Blood. There's a pass right there called that. And there's those that suppose it's called that because of the red that was on it, because of bandits and, and, and people getting hurt or killed there. It's a dangerous place. So as this man was walking, he would eventually come to this pass or a pass or a location. And there were some guys hanging out, just waiting. And in the distance, they see him come. Ah, that's the one. He's by himself. Like there's not a group of them. This is perfect. Look, do you see the, the cloak he's wearing? He, he must be a businessman. I bet he has some money. They're kind of waiting or they can't really be seen. And he gets closer and closer and closer. And as he comes either around a stone or a boulder, all of a sudden he sees this group of men. Hey guys, how are you doing? It's good to see you. I hope the day's going well. He knows he can't run away. He kind of has to be strong as he, hello, passes through. And, and, and they call out, yeah, hey, hey bud, how's it going? Where, where are you headed today? Oh, uh, you know, just headed down, just down to Jericho. Oh, what business takes you there? Well, I just, I just uh, have some things to take, some family to see, you know, just some family. Oh, okay, okay. That's a, that's a nice robe you got. And, and they began to surround him. And uh, hey, man, uh, do you have anything you can share with us? Oh, yeah, 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 I have, a, I have a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, you guys look like you could use a little bit. I'm happy to. What do you mean it looks like we could use a little bit? Are you saying we look bad? And words began to get exchanged. It began to get a little testy. And they said, that's not enough. Give us more. Well, that's all I've got. No, no. You have more than this. What do you have? And they began to rough him up a little bit and push until eventually they grabbed a hold of him and they started to tear his clothes off and they found all his stash. But that wasn't enough. The scriptures say that they beat him. He cried out, stop, please, leave me alone. They didn't listen to his words. They took advantage of him. And the scripture says they left him half dead. They left him half dead. Sometimes the world that we live in takes advantage of us. This world is not the way God designed it. Sin has taken hold of this world. And people do things that are wrong. And they take advantage of others. And the question is asked, where is God when this happens? Doesn't God know? Didn't God know? Why didn't God have him walk a different path? Why didn't God prevent him from going down that trail to Jericho that day? Why? God, where are you when it hurts? Is that an honest question? Is that a fair question? If God could speak the world into existence, why do these things happen? And it boils down to free choice. God has given us all free choice to choose to follow his law of love. Great peace have they who love thy law. Nothing shall offend them. If we were all following the law of God, there would be peace on earth. But because God has given us free choice, we can choose to not follow his law of love, which means others can be hurt. Others will be hurt. As we've seen pain and suffering around us, 
It's not evidence that God doesn't care. It's an evidence of a world that has rejected God. It's an evidence that God had a better place plan for us and a better way for us. When I see sad things happen, it makes me long for God's better way. He was laying there half dead. The scriptures then tell us, Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Can you imagine? As the man is laying there half dead, he hears rustling gravel, crunch, 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 footsteps, crunch. He can't get up. He's completely incapacitated, maybe moaning, bloody, and a priest, by chance, leads him that way. The priest passes by on the other side. You know, the job of a priest in, those, in, in Israel was, was kind of like a, a doctor of sorts. If someone had leprosy, they were to go to the priest. And the doctor, the doctor priest was to check them out. They, they were there to help them. If a house had sickness in it, they were to come assess the house, kind of like a building inspector. Building inspector, doctor, priest. I mean, they did a lot of stuff. And he passed by on the other side. This man who represented God, this man who represented religion, the true religion, passed by on the other side. There are those who look at the church and they feel disappointed. I come to church and it doesn't, like no one says hi. I went through a tough time and no one called me. I was really in need and they didn't help me. Is it possible that in even a church can disappoint us? If you've been disappointed, you aren't the only person. This man was disappointed in the church. Verse 32, So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Twice he had been passed by, by those who could have helped him. He was all alone. A few more hours and he likely would die. In his heart, he was crying out for help and no one was there. But then the scriptures tell us, but a Samaritan. This curse word, this outcast to the Jewish society, this man, as he journeyed, he came to where he was and when he saw him, he had compassion. Compassion. Do you see people and have compassion? When you come up to the stop sign, I'm going to get real for a moment, and you see the person there with a cardboard sign, do you have compassion? Now, I'm not saying the best thing is to give them money, but do you have compassion? What happens in your heart? When he saw him, he had compassion, and he went to him and bound up his wounds pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. He had compassion. And the next day he took out two denarii, which is a, each denarii is a day's worth of wages, and he gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you. 
and when I come back, uh, when I come back. And so Jesus asked the question, which do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed mercy. The one who showed mercy. Now, when I think of this story that Jesus told, to me, the first picture that comes to mind is Jesus. In my own life, I've experienced pain. Who else has experienced pain? I'm not the only one, right? Anyone else? And the scriptures tell us that, that, that Jesus knows about the pain that we have and he has come to bind up the brokenhearted. Is that what the scriptures say? Jesus came to bind up the brokenhearted. Jesus can heal the pain that's in our life. Jesus provided abundantly to provide for the care of our needs. And according to this, it says that he's coming back. I'm coming back. And I will right all wrongs when I come back. This is what it says. Can you say amen? Where is God when it hurts? He sees. He has compassion. And he will meet you in your time of need. Now the scriptures aren't just a fairy tale. God isn't just an idea. The scriptures are true. And God is real. And he can and will meet you in your time of need. If you are going through a tough time, this world has chewed you up and spit you out. The scripture says that Jesus will bind up the brokenhearted. Cast your care on him for he cares for you. Where is God when you're going through a time of hurt? He's nearby. He's there. He will be with us and carry us through those times. But Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. When Jesus comes in the heart, he changes us to be like himself. And how Jesus comes and he notices those who are going through a tough time, he wants us to also have that same heart in us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Frederick Douglass, climbing down the ladder, he had gotten almost to the bottom and he heard the door open and Edward Covey came in. Edward grabbed him and he had a rope in his hand and he began to tie his legs together. And Frederick Douglass had this thought that went through his mind. Not today. You are not going to beat me today. And he began to struggle and to fight. And Edward Covey called out to Hank, another slave. Hank, come help me get Frederick. And Hank said, my master sent me here to work not to help you beat someone. And he went out. Edward Covey was on his own. And the two of them wrestled and struggled for two hours. And finally, Edward Covey said, listen, if you decide to run away again, you'll get more of the same. And he went out. And for the next two years while he was there, Edward Covey never raised a hand to beat him again. But he said, listen, if you ever do that again, you'll get more of the same. Frederick Douglass had made up in his mind that he was not going to be beaten down anymore. Maybe in your life you've been beaten down. There's experiences that you are facing that are hard. There is hope and there is help 
found in someone named the Good Samaritan, Jesus Christ. You might be a slave to this world, but you don't have to be anymore. Jesus came to set the captives free. Do you want to be free? There is power in Jesus. God has given us this law. As we look up at the immensity of it, we say, there's no way. But Jesus says, do you want to be free? My law explains what freedom feels like. My law explains what freedom, freedom feels like. If you aren't living the love of my law, you're a captive. Is there parts of God's law that you're really not living? Are you a slave to something in your life? It could be a relationship that you shouldn't be engaged in. It could be ways in that relationship that you should not be engaging. Are you a slave to something that you want freedom from? There is power and hope in the Good Samaritan. He will bind you up. He will set you free. He can heal that which has been broken. Amen. So I'm going to make an appeal. If anyone has something, thank you. Am I a little sniffly? Is there something on my nose? Thank you very much. Yeah, I've had a kind of a congestion lately, so thank you. Very nice. Um, if anyone here has something in their life, this is not an appeal for everyone. As a matter of fact, if everyone just bow your heads and close your eyes, so if someone's feeling uncomfortable, they can't. They, they don't have to have you watching them. Um, if there's something in your life that has been holding you down, that you've been a captive to, could be something small, could be something big. But you want freedom from that. Jesus has promised freedom. And if you sense God speaking to your heart, I'd like to invite you to come down here and give it to him. Come to the pass of blood where Jesus was shed, shed his blood for you and say, today, today, I'm going to fresh give this to you. I want to invite you to come forward. If you don't feel a conviction, just stay there in your seat. If there's some bitterness or unforgiveness that's there, I invite you to come down. Give Jesus that. If you don't even know where to begin and you feel helpless, Jesus will meet you. I'd like to invite you to come down. Is there anybody else? Something in your life that God is speaking to you about that you need to surrender to Him. And you can't change it. You can't make a difference. But He can. I'll add to that. If there's anyone here that would like more of God's power for a specific item in your life, I'd like to invite you to come down. Amen. Amen.
Amen. Jesus told the lawyer that he was to love his neighbors like the Samaritan. So I want to broaden this appeal. Does anyone here who feels like they could show a little more love in their life? It's pretty broad, huh? If there's anyone that could show a little more love in their life, I'd invite you to stand. Jesus wants us to see and have compassion. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we have looked at this story that Jesus has told us, we see that it points us towards hope. It points us towards power. It points us towards freedom. It points us toward help in time of need. Lord, that's why we're here. We need that in our lives. Lord, please provide power and help to those who've come forward for it. Provide the forgiveness that they need in their life. Provide help in time of need. Lord, they have come forward surrendering this to you because they believe in you. The answer doesn't lie within the human heart, but it lies in the cross. Lord, we believe that you will do what you have promised to do. Lord, there are those who have stood today because they sensed that they could love a little more in our life. Lord, not only can we love a little more, we need more of your love in our lives. May we not pass by on the other side, but may our belief in you transform us so that others see Jesus in us. Help us to love as Jesus loved. All God's people said, amen. Amen. amen.